0: Hey, everybody, great show planned for you this week. We have a external USB-C 3.1 Rev 2, which is a 10 gigabit per second unit that has two M.2 devices internally. So that means RAID 1 for your external drive. Is that like a good summary? Yeah. Imagine an external hard drive that actually in this chassis has two hard drives, and you're always saving to both hard drives. So if one fails, you can pull it out and replace it, and you're still up and going. You don't lose anything.
1: That's about the size of a wallet.
0: About that size? About that size. Yeah. So we want redundancy. We want to be able to store our stuff safely. This is the way to do it. We're going to be showing you how to... Basically assemble that yourself using some Kingston M.2s and the device itself. Uh, Also, I've got a neat little thing that is going to daisy-chain into our power adapter for like a Raspberry Pi or other single-board computer. That's going to tell us how many amps it's actually using. Mm -hmm. So as you're trying to choose, do I need a 2-amp or a 4-amp power supply for what I'm doing, this is going to answer that question for you. Stick around. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs.
2: Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv.
1: Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN
0: and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show. I'm Robbie Ferguson.
2: I am Sasha Rickman. And I'm Jeff Weston.
0: It is hot in here. Our Crazy AC hot. is down, so just a heads up. If I'm slurring my words and, and looking a little bit on the, like, worn outside, as the show goes on, we're going to be uh, we're gonna be experiencing that. So hopefully the AC will come up and going uh, so within be the next like couple, couple of minutes. So it's going to be, the fastest five-minute, one-hour show possible. Yeah, you know what? We're just... At the, and that's the end of the show. So that's all the energy that we have good to go. Yeah. I is the
2: time where I have no complaints about girl clothes. I'm wearing a dress. I know you were, have pockets. You were prepared. Have pockets.
0: I thought no about pockets. wearing a dress tonight, but, uh, you know, it didn't, didn't uh, well, really work out.
1: Funny as we were getting ready to come here, you like dress warm or dress for the weather or dress dress light. Yes. And I'm thinking I don't have any dresses. Ba-dam-ba.
2: however i do
1: yeah i know Fantastic. i was impressed well done I well done. In, i'm like sasha's in a dress she she listened
2: i listened i didn't actually listen to be honest i was here already when i got the message and you know what's funny
1: <laughs> the ac is black not to rub it in but the ac was blasting in my house so i got cool and that's why i'm literally wearing oh. jeans oh, oh. oh. And a long sleeve. Oh. i was cold at home and then i get here and i'm like this was stupid
0: So, I have to be prepared to catch Jeff tonight. (laughs) Yes. Oh, Yes, I am dripping. Hey, before (laughs) we get into the show tonight, uh, I want to remind you, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can catch all of our shenanigans. Uh, Click that bell to receive the notification whenever we're live or when we post new and exciting content as well. Which Uh, is always. Always. All. The. Time. Even in the heat. Uh, Okay, so... My external storage drive, like my USB drive that I plug into my computer and copy files to, is a single spinning hard drive in an external chassis plugged into USB 3.0. So it's pretty fast, but I have this fear that, like, if I ever dropped it, one, it's a spinning drive, so you know it's not going to survive the drop. Mm -hmm. Two, it's a single spinning drive. So, if it didn't survive the drop, or if it crashed for some other reason, maybe a zap from, you know, whatever, the problem is that it's the only, there's no redundancy. It's like the drive. Right. There's one single storage device within that.
2: I feel like that's least like you. I feel like this is one of those cases where, how did this happen?
0: And that's where we're going with this tonight, Sasha. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. So, I have not one, but two... Kingston SSD now 38. What are these? These are the uh, the 960 gigabyte UV 500s uh, that I picked off. uh, You can pick these up on Amazon. They're M.2 drives. Now these are SATA. So like basically these are like the hard drives of now that you would put into your computer. Right. There's no spinning parts. There's nothing that is going to fail if you drop it from a reasonable height. Um, and, and it's very much less susceptible to something like shock or um or just it's like life day-to-day. with Sasha. Well, yeah, it could be, right? I mean, how many times do I hear about somebody who's got their drive plugged into the computer, they're copying their files over, and the dog knocks it off the desk? Mm. We'll say the dog. That's what they tell us. Yeah. But, you know, that's... Dog ate the homework. You know? That's exactly how it goes down. So why do I have two? Well, I need redundancy. I want to be able to have, like, a RAID 1 scenario going on. But how would I possibly do that with M.2s? Any ideas? Keeping in mind, I want to replace the need for an external spinning hard drive.
1: Huh. And so are huh. you still you wanting it to
0: be via the USB 3? No. Jeff, come on. USB 3 is so yesterday. No, I understand how that, are that's u- how you're using it for portability. So. USB 3one point one rev2. Huh? Excuse me. I know. I know. <sighs> okay. So let's show you. I'm going to jump over to the unboxing table and show so you how this is going to be done. All right, so here they are, folks. We've got two Kingston M.2s. Again, these are SATA drives. Make sure you don't grab the NVMEs because it's not going to be compatible with what we're doing. And I've been seeing these types of devices on Amazon over the past little while, and I thought, dude, we have to take a look at these. Just a nice little card to say, have a nice day. Please give us a rating. And we've got our instruction book, which we will refer to, but as you can see, it's pretty straightforward. Nice and simple stuff, uh, but... let's get further into the box okay screwdriver we have a lot of those uh we've got some feet like non-slip feet Hmm. we've got some screws and all that kind of stuff and we've got a usb c cable let's get into that oh there we go So this is USB-C. Again, this is USB 3.1 Rev 2. I kind of alluded to that. What does that mean? It means that this external chassis is going to provide a connection to your computer at up to 10 gigabits per second. What does that mean? Well, what do we know about the SATA 3 specification? It's 6 gigabits a second. So if you wanted an external unit that was as fast as could possibly be, well, consider that these cards here, these M.2 chips, are 6 gigabits a second. Okay, so this device here is going to connect to your computer at up to 10 gigabits a second. That's why the revision 2 is important. So am I going to get 10 gigabits a second? No, uh, not, not in a RAID 1 scenario. I'm going to get 6 because these devices are limited to 6. Now, I could set these up in a RAID 0, and then I'm going to get 10 gigabits a second for sure. Uh, but in the case of a RAID 1, I'm going to get the limitation of the SATA uh, bus, which is uh, uh, 6 gigabits a second. So So I say that because Revision 2 of the USB 3.1 standard is important. If you're shopping for one of these types of devices, um, if you go with Revision 1, it's half the speed, 5 gigabits a second. So then you're not going to be maximizing the speed. Keep that in mind. You want the full speed of these devices.
1: That looks like a football field with little buttons inside.
2: It totally does. (laughs) Oh,
0: Do you see that? It, It absolutely is a touchdown, folks. So we've got LEDs on the front. These LEDs are going to show activity as well as whether or not this is important, okay? Because what happens if an M.2 fails? This is going to show if an M.2 has failed, okay? Now, maybe you mentioned, is that a metallic case or is it plastic? It is metallic. Okay. This is an aluminum case, okay? The black, you may think it's plastic. And if you look at the photos on Amazon, this particular one, it looks like it might be plastic, but no, it is aluminum, Very nice. and so that helps with the heat dissipation too. M.2s can get a little warm. This one should do pretty well, and it's got some vents in the front. Now, that said, it doesn't have to be this one. I'm going to link to this at cat5.tv usbflash. However, I also have linked to a couple of other ones that I recommend there, uh, which are going to do about the same thing. You just choose the one that you like. So if you look here, these are the M.2 slots. So we actually have two M.2 slots up to uh, 3380... uh, millimeter. Okay, so you have to make sure that the one that you buy, so the chassis that you buy, is compatible with the type of M.2 that you buy. Um, so these are 3380-millimeter uh, uh, chips that I got from... Uh, uh, these are the Kingston uh, SSD now, and they're going to basically fill this, the 80 right there. Uh, it, you can get other sizes as well, right down to like... Uh, 3330s or whatever they happen to be. I don't know what that size is. That's awfully small. Uh, Okay, so let's uh, let's see if we can put this thing together. So this is, what is incredible about this is it's going to give us a RAID 1 architecture in the form factor of um, our standard SSD. Our our standard external SSD, I should say.
1: I I feel the need to point out you have not read the instructions.
0: I haven't read the instructions yet. Jeff. Yet. He
2: said yet. He's, going to, that. he's going to read them he's gonna read them if he encounters well, yeah. a problem.
0: If I have some trouble with this, how difficult is this though to okay, grab our M.2. Oh, and I don't have a, a box cutter with me. If you read the instructions maybe you would. Yeah. Jeff, throw me a box cutter. Do you I have one in front of you? I didn't read the instructions, I don't have one. Oh okay. Oh here we There's go. There's gotta be one. I got one. Oh Boom. look at that. Look at that. I could have pretended that you brought it to me and saved the day. Yeah. I just had know. to I just had to look around, that's all. So you need a box cutter. (laughs) (laughs) And Marshman is like, amen, brother. (laughs) There we go. So there's our first M.2. Remember, this is a SATA M.2. I've gone with 960 megabytes, which is about the biggest that you're going to find right now. Uh, And this is, because it's SATA, not NVMe, it's going to be compatible with this device. So I'm going to just pop that in there and put it down there. Now I can grab the screw to... Affix that, which I think is the silver one. Did you just say I think? Well, there's two silver ones and four black ones, so I expect that the two silver ones are the two NVMEs.
1: <laughs> the instructions would tell
0: you. I'm telling you the instructions here, <laughs> folks. If it doesn't work, you're going to see it not work. There you go. M.2 number one. Think we can add a second one without reading the instructions, Jeff? Do you think this can be done?
1: I feel like you're going to do it anyway just because you're the bald nerd.
0: Yeah, you know what? If it doesn't work and I did it, then there's something wrong with the pro- with the product. Is that uh, the
1: works? chat room's asking if you said <laughs> megabytes.
0: Yes, 960 gigabytes. Did I say megabytes? Apparently you said megabytes. Nice. See, I am stuck in the past here, folks. This is the little tiny gold thing to be able to affix the... M.2, which is, in fact, 960 gigabytes. We're talking a terabyte here, folks. Does that make a little more sense to you in this 1999? Oh, wait. It's 2019 as I do this. <laughs> Flux capacitor's working. There we go. Okay. So what has me so excited about this, Jeff, Sasha? Uh, it's smaller
1: than a hard drive.
0: I'm going to have to read the manual.
1: Oh yeah. Oh.
0: Because we have Toggle dip switches. switches. Dip Ooh. switches. Let's call them dip switches, shall we? Read the manual, Jeff. Ah, uh, you so are. So what could a dip these switch. possibly mean? All right, let's get in here. Now this makes some good TV here, folks. RAID settings. That those dip switches are for RAID. So we have the capability of doing RAID 0, RAID 1, JBOD. Let's see if I can get a focus on this for you. See the dip switch settings? Wow, Robbie, hold still, dude. There you go. So those dip switches are actually going to give me a RAID out of my USB external drive. Very cool. So RAID 1 is what I want. RAID 1 is going to be 1 is down, 2 is up. 1 is down, 2 is up. This device is now set. As a RAID 1 with two 960 gigabytes, um, and uh, pardon me, I was going to say NVMe, SATA M.2s. And so those are in all essences each one of these chips is a hard drive so we have one two hard drives if one of them fails with a raid one what do we know it's going to be mirrored to the other drive so if one fails it's going to light up red on this side here and then i just simply remove that chip and replace it and it will rebuild and i'll have all my data or i can just operate off of the one chip as i wait and it's still going to have all the data not going to have any problems there so then we're going to put this right back together like this a couple quick notes On Amazon reviews, somebody mentioned that uh, the PCB was not solidly affixed to the case. I'm not experiencing that whatsoever. Uh, There are itty-bitty screws on the PCB. I'm going to let the camera focus. You can see that the PCB is, in fact, screwed into the chassis. Okay, so we don't have any issue with it flopping around. I wonder if maybe they didn't didn't screw down their M.2s and didn't do that correctly. So let's put this together, just like that. And we've got four screws. Oh, look at that, Jeff. Didn't even have to read the manual for that. I'm guessing the black screws go like this. Well, that one kind of makes sense. Yes, but I would, sir. I still feel vindicated. Wow, that you Robbie, you figured it out. Something. After the three years that you've been in tech, you finally figured it out, bald nerd. <laughs> it's a slight under-exaggeration. Here we go. That is good TV right there. There we have it.
1: It's funny, as you're like just putting in those screws, I'm thinking, how many people are watching
0: this? Just watching a guy screw in screws. Yeah, what is this? (laughs) What is this junk? YouTube, please comment below. I know you're going to. There you have it, folks. So this is, now this one, I've gone with the glow trends. So keep that in mind. If you go to cat5.tv slash USB flash and you really, really like this design, I like it. Uh, I do like that it has a little bit of uh, a grill at the front that's going to allow some heat to get out. Uh, a little bit better. It is aluminum. It's got the LEDs for uh, an LED for each of the M.2s. It's going to show me the status as well as indicate data flow. And then on the back, I've got a DC input. So if I do need to supplement the USB-C, I can. I can put in a, an extra five volts there, and that's going to help us out. Uh, then we've got an on-off switch, which is kind of cool. And USB 3.1 Rev 2 is going to give us up to 10 gigabits a second on this device. Of course, I'm going to get six gigs um, because I'm doing a RAID. One. All right. I'm going to jump back over here. Do you want to hit that button for me? The wide shot. There you go. So that's going to be... This is not a backup drive. I want to be clear that, hey, you don't use these kinds of things for your, your like, corporate backup necessarily. Right. But to have some redundancy or something that you need to take on the go, this is like your USB external drive that now has redundancy built in Mm -hmm.
2: that is cool where
0: can you find that right like normally you're gonna have to go with something much larger form factor this is something that I can take anywhere and keep it in my laptop bag run I could run a backup of my laptop and now do I have one copy on here and one copy on my laptop well technically I have two copies on here because I've gone with the raid one right you can do a raid zero which is a stripe so with the two one terabyte um, uh, m.2s i would get almost two terabytes of mm-hmm. storage but then if one drive fails i can potentially lose the data off of the the failed Correct. drive yeah. so i wanted this specifically for redundancy that's my purpose not capacity because i could for cheaper get um, a, a spinning drive that has higher capacity like an eight terabyte USB external. Right. right. This is going to cost me a little bit more, but I have that peace of mind of the redundancy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, what about corrupt files? You know, say mm-hmm. one of the drives, you do a backup, and it happens to be something that's got malware on it. Is it going to transfer that's to the other just drive? Ba-
0: yeah, well, I mean, that's bad practice, right? Well, so sure, but... That comes down to something completely different that that's not something that's saved by a RAID. Fair enough, but they're not standalone drives in that respect that is still run through the thing. You can run this as a JBOD, which yeah. is just a bunch of drives. So it would actually show on your computer as two hard drives when you plug this in. Right. And if it's running as two hard drives or PM mode, uh, you can then copy things to the first one and then copy it redundantly to the second or something like that. You could set yourself up with yeah. some kind of transfer like that if you wanted okay. to. Uh, but as far as, like, if, if ransomware hit, this, where this would help in that kind of a situation, let's say I have a lot of data data on my laptop, and I don't currently have a good backup solution, maybe because it's 500 gigs worth of data. So that could be really expensive to put into the cloud. So with this, I've got about a terabyte of redundant storage. So there's two copies within this device. So I would then copy it from my laptop to this, and then I would put this in a safety deposit box. Sure. So then if my laptop ever got stolen, my laptop ever got encrypted, this is an what, what I call an untouchable backup. So this is something that would never be plugged back into my laptop unless I needed the data to, to be recovered. I so, wonder what kind of files you got that you put in a safety deposit box. Well, that's just an example of keeping it off-site, right? <laughs> so now, me personally, I have the advantage of, I have home, I have work, I have yes. a studio, I have places that I can store things that are safe. Now, the average home user probably doesn't have the same that's scenario. Right, you have to, a safety deposit box is my example of a safe place to put this away from it's not going to get plugged into a computer it's not going to get damaged yep. and it's untouchable by ransomware or some other kind of malware mm-hmm. so then if my computer got hit then i go get that wherever it is it could be mom and dad's house sure yeah right? exactly and and then That becomes my files. All told, is this a
2: really affordable solution? Like,
0: it's going to cost you a fair bit. I mean, you're looking uh, at—I don't want to talk pricing because it's different from area to area wherever you are. But I'm talking—you're buying the chassis. Yeah, which is a RAID enclosure. It's USB 3.1 mm-hmm. uh, revision B, so it's the current standard as far as 2019 standards go. It takes two d- two disks, and you need to buy two disks for it. Right. So it's like buying two hard drives right. plus a chassis. Right. So is it affordable? Uh, yes. Is it inexpensive? Is no. it cheap? No. It, but you, it's you could definitely. Of mind. Oh, it's more than peace yeah. of mind, Sasha. So this, uh, this is more than that for me, but also for, for like the business user or somebody who is pretty, you know, you're, you're yeah. pretty kind of, you don't want to lose your family photos, mm-hmm. right? right? So copy them to this. There's two copies now and then put it somewhere safe. This is much better, much more reliable, much safer than what you're talking about, like a cheap consumer drive.
2: Exactly.
0: And this is going to work a lot, a lot better, a lot faster. It's 10 gigabits a second transfer speed to the drives the drives can write up to six gigabits a second so the transfer speed of the bus is faster than the actual drives are so think about that if you if you put one of these m.2s in your computer it would be the same speed as connecting this externally right perfect it's amazing so, uh, so it, it is a, 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 a good solution. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost you some money, but it's worth, I think, the money. Yes. Um, and, and certainly if you want redundancy, that's something that you need to consider. Check it out, cat5.tv slash USB flash to learn more about uh, the products that I use tonight. And there are a couple of other options there that you can look at as well. And uh, check it out. Let us know what you decide on, what you, what you think. Very cool. We do have to take a really quick break. Now, when we come back, I'm going to be answering the question, like, what power supply do I really need for my single-board computer, be it a Raspberry Pi or whatever it is, because Mm -hmm. we're always being told you need 2 amps, you need 3 amps, you need 4 amps, and now you need, like, 15 amps for these things. And it's just all over the place. And so we've all got all these USB power supplies. Which one is actually going to provide enough power for your device? I'm going to show you a little secret. Stick around. Welcome back, everybody. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Uh, Now, I'm going to jump back over. I know, like, tonight we're spending a lot of time on the unboxing table. I want to show you so many cool things. I'm going to actually be over at that table. Should we head over? Because what I'm going to show you tonight, folks, is this little apparatus that is going to allow me to measure USB power usage. Okay? Now... Before I get into it, I want to give you a little bit of history. Now, we all have our Raspberry Pis, we have our Odroid computers and all of our single board devices, and we're told that we need to have certain power supplies, and we're not really sure which one we really need. Do we need the one amp for the Raspberry Pi, or the two, or the four, or what do we need? And what are we actually drawing when we connect, say, an external hard drive to our device? That's what we're here to settle tonight. So this device is available at cat5.tv slash USB tester. I'm going to show you this. It is just a USB power supply. So you notice it's white. This is not a data cable. This is a power tester that goes inline. I shouldn't say power supply. It is a power inline coupler. Okay. So we've got a full-size USB on this end. And this end, we've got a USB output and USB uh, micro, it looks like, as well. Uh, and we've got a button here. Very, very simple design. Very simple, easy to use. I'm going to peel this off. And one of the reviews on Amazon said, "Hey, I got a used one. It's all scratched up and everything. Look at that. Hmm. Looks like I got the same thing. But because I'm not silly, I'm going to actually peel off. I'm going to use the term silly. Come on." Don't forget to peel off the layer here. And the funny thing about that comment, that review that gave it one one star because apparently they got a used one. The funny thing is that first thing that I peeled off says, hey, don't forget, please peel off the mask before application. (laughs) They didn't read the instructions. Didn't read the instructions or thought that the label itself warning about the mask was actually the mask. But no. Okay, so no scratches, yeah? It's actually like a mirror finish. Beautiful. So if I plug this into a USB power supply, so right here I've just got my standard 2-amp USB power supply, and I'm going to plug that in and see what happens. This thing is going to power up, and we see we are getting 5.57 volts, and we're drawing 0 amps. Easy peasy, right? Mm -hmm. Let's plug a Raspberry Pi into that, shall we? I'm going to disconnect the screen from the Raspberry Pi and plug in just the Raspberry Pi 3B+. And is that going to be upside down? Yes. It is. is. Fantastic. (laughs) As it boots. Here, let's turn this over. And there we go. Okay, so we've got 5.41 volts and we're drawing 0.4 amps.
1: But it's not even plugged Zero
0: in? 0.45. Yes, it is. Oh, just the screen isn't. The Raspberry Pi is booting oh, right now. Oh, gotcha. The okay. Raspberry Pi on the back of this screen is booting oh, that's from moving. the USB. Yeah, okay. that's what I'm doing. See the Raspberry Pi is yes. lit up? Yeah, right. So the Raspberry Pi by itself is drawing 0.4 amps or so. So presumably a 1 amp power supply would be enough for the Raspberry Pi 3B. Looks like.
1: Now, that's just a boot-up sequence, would it escalate if you put it through, say, like a... Oh, sure. Start working that processor? Yeah. Heck yeah. So then you may need more than a one amp.
0: Maybe. Let's plug in the screen and see what happens if we do that. So, remember, this is just an inline power, uh, like, coupler, so I don't need to really do anything with it. There's nothing that I need to set up. You notice I didn't have to install any drivers or anything crazy like that. Oh, this look. is also a bit of a uh, a view or a review, in a way, of the KKSB 7-inch um, Raspberry Pi screen case that we looked at a couple of weeks back. So, you didn't get to see that booted up. We didn't have time to show it uh, booted on the show, but uh, there it is. Like, how cool is that? This is a really nice little screen. It's got a little bit of a sh- uh, shine to it. You can see I'm, I'm actually getting a mirror of the, uh, the camera stand in oh, front yeah. of me. Uh, and it looks really, really good. So I've got the screen and the Raspberry Pi running. What does our tester tell us? Oh, 0. 0.83 amps is what we're using. So let's actually shut down. I'm going to actually power this thing off, which I'm going to do from the menu with my fingers and shut down. Let's take this right from power up. But before I do, let's see what kind of uh, power wasting the Raspberry Pi is doing. So the Raspberry Pi is off right now. And we are still drawing 0.06 amps. So it just goes to show that the Pi Watcher, for example, is a good idea because it's actually going to cut out that 0.06 amps that you're still drawing. So the Raspberry Pi is still wasting electricity, even though it's not powered on. Right. You wouldn't know that without this device. People say it, but now I got proof.
2: Aha, uh-huh, they call that the phantom load.
0: Ooh,
2: drawing energy. Well
0: done, Sasha. Aha.
2: Uh-huh.
0: I learned something today. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to unplug this and plug back in the entire unit and we're going to watch. Now you'll see that's that's not a lie. That was the Raspberry Pi now that I've unplugged the Pi. Yep. I'm sitting at 0 amps even. Okay? Let's plug it all back in. And let's watch what happens as this thing boots. 0.10, 14, 19, 76, 84, 96. Oh, yeah, I'm hitting the one amp right there. Yep. 94, 88. Huh. So I'm definitely in need of, I would say, a two amp for this device. Yes. Because I'm right on that threshold of there, 1.05, 1.16. Wow. So I can see the actual ampage usage, and I can see what the Raspberry Pi is currently using as I do my thing. So that's going to work for any USB-powered device up to, let's see, I think it's 3 amps if we look at this. Oh, my goodness. No, 4 amps, pardon He's me. Just reading the instructions twice in one show. I know, 4 <laughs> amps. It will do up to 4 amps. Uh, so you can test anything up to a 4-amp um, unit. Uh, you can get one at cat5.tv slash USB tester. It's as simple as that. It's going to tell you all kinds of info, like the the voltage, the current, the discharge capacity. Uh, give it a try. It's cat5.tv slash USB tester. And don't forget, this case is also on our site at cat5.tv slash pi. If you want to make your Raspberry Pi, uh, look like that, and uh, and operate like that with the KKSB case, and that's all there is to it.
1: I I is would like to, to say thank you for reading the instructions. Yeah, to you
0: know I do that for you. I, appreciate I didn't that. even read them. I glazed over and just kind. Of, <laughs> you just, just look for a number. a blank piece of paper to me. Read
2: the instructions.
0: I absorb them through my nerdiness. Don't even have to use my eyeballs.
2: Pure osmosis.
0: There you go. That's good. That's how it works. Sasha. Yeah. It is time. Yes. To head over to the newsroom. It's I like 110 degrees at this point in the newsroom.
2: That's right. It's Are tropical you? here. Yes. So can
0: we say yes. that we have hot news tonight? It is a hot newscast here, folks. That's right. Let's That's hope right. it doesn't become a hot mess. <laughs> That's the plan. So when you're ready, we'll head right over. She's hydrating first. <laughs> it's important, right. folks. Remember.
2: Here we go. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. As if we needed another reason not to trust Kaspersky, it was discovered that their antivirus injected a unique ID that allows sites to track users even in incognito mode. Ubuntu 19.10 will offer an experimental ZFS file system option. There's a new attack exploiting serious Bluetooth weakness that is capable of intercepting sensitive data. And if this, then that warns against migrating Nest devices to Google accounts. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is the Category 5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories
2: with a slight
0: Linux bias.
2: I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. As if we needed another reason not to trust Kaspersky, it was discovered that their antivirus injected a unique ID that allowed sites to track users, even in incognito mode. Antivirus software is something that can help people be safer and more private on the internet, but its protections can come both ways. A case in point, for almost four years, AV products from Kaspersky Lab injected a unique identifier into every website a user visited, making it possible for sites to identify people even when using incognito mode or even when they switch to a different browser. The identifier was part of a blob of JavaScript Kaspersky products injected into every page a user visited. The JavaScript was designed to, among other things, present a green icon that corresponded to safe links returned in search results. Ronald Ekenberg, a reporter for a CT Magazine, who broke the story, found something unsettling about the JavaScript injected by the Kaspersky product installed on his test computer, a big long tag that looked like a serial number. He investigated and found it was unique. A unique to his machine and it was injected into every single page he visited. It didn't matter if he used Chrome, Firefox, Edge, or Opera or whether he turned on incognito browsing. The identifier acted as a unique identification number that website operators could use to track him. Kaspersky stopped sending the identifier in June after Ekenberg privately reported the behavior to the AV company. The identifier was introduced in 2015. That meant for close to four years, all consumer versions of Kaspersky software for Windows, including the free version, Kaspersky Internet Security and Kaspersky Total Security, silently branded users with a unique ID. Oh dear. So, and then sold all of that? I feel like that's the <laughs> next step.
0: If Well, but that's the thing, is that they were prov- prov- providing a means for attackers to track yeah. users. They weren't necessarily tracking the users. They could have been. Right. But they were injecting a unique identifier into every website that someone visited. So if a malicious party... Figured that law. out, yeah. yeah. Which I'm sure they did. We're not hearing about that aspect. We're hearing about it now that it's been made public knowledge and fixed four right. years later. But I guarantee you it was exploited.
2: But sure. It, like the intention was probably not malicious, it was just an oversight. Not that like a is innocence. As a, a
0: programmer, innocent, as a programmer like, I would say that that was an intern who made a real bonehead move and is no longer with the company. That's right. like my programmer standpoint is like that was a bonehead move. Right. Stupid. But companies make those kinds of stupid decisions sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, How
2: it,
1: it makes me wonder if there's even the possibility somebody started to put that in there as part of maybe an analytics to be able to track. How it usage data sure. all that kind of stuff so that they can, you know, fix the program if yeah. something goes wrong. But it's just it's like, come on.
2: hmm
1: Like do, are people still using Kaspersky? It's
0: Unfortunately nice. the unknown, yes. the the unknowing public do tend to still use whatever is presented to them.
1: Somebody please share this. Yeah. Share it to all your friends. Yeah. Stop.
0: Just stop that uh, that kind of programming mistake from a security company is not acceptable. No, it's not.
2: Okay, so that's the thing. Because it's a security company, right? So if it's just a regular blunder from from some other company, but it's a security company. Like, you really should know better.
0: I, I mean, we take for granted that these products are out there to protect us. But should there not be an absolute... Uh, evaluation and auditing process for any feature that's added to a security product that yeah. could potentially exploit the user
1: right see and i guess this is just kind of the tangent that my brain goes off but I, I look at stuff like this and i go if it was that easy for one company to inject this id yeah it opens up the door to go how many other people are going to go oh that was easy to do Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do that.
0: Yeah, here's like, a free add-on for your computer that gives you whatever.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, like yeah. you think of people who are like, oh, the government's tracking you. Literally, all they've got to do is done. Like, yeah. it, ever you know everything about everybody.
0: Yeah. Guess like, who else is tracking you. Yeah. And that becomes personally identifiable. It's like It's like, and I don't mean to take up so much time, Sasha, but it is like that the mall surveillance system that they said was not personally identifying people... Right? But at the same time, as soon as you see, oh, yeah, that's Sasha Rickman right there, then as I see the surveillance video that's going through the mall, I know what she's wearing. Oh, yeah, even though I can't make out her face, you know, I'm better than AI, I can see that's Sasha Rickman. Mm -hmm. Right? So is it personally identifiable? Oh, no, it's just a UUID. Well, log into your Gmail. (laughs) Guess where that UUID is injected? Now it's associated with your Gmail account. It's associated with your email address and your contact list. Yeah, so, it's associated so with your Facebook and your Twitter profile.
2: Exactly. So, but now they're they're not doing it any longer, which means that it was probably another, in that way, right? In that right. <laughs>
0: They've hidden their tracks. Yeah,
2: but we
0: don't trust the Kaspersky at this point. No, yeah,
2: the damage is done. I uh, people should really just back away.
1: Is there a way to stop that kind of tracking though? Like, wh- I mean, we've got all these, you know protection suites like antivirus malware, all that kind of stuff. Is there any way to create like a tracking ID suite that goes, Oh, we found these trends,
0: we're wiping that out? Like how do you stop against that? I mean the the correct answer is Tor. Like that's the Fair enough. That's but you know, is that legitimate for the average user? No, no, it's not. Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, and can that be exploited? Well, we've heard stories that, yeah, yeah there are ways that it has been uh, exploited. We'll see. Right. I don't know that there's an easy answer. Off the grid. But that's just, why would you do that? No, you're walking away from that. That's town. not an option, <laughs> It's not an
2: option. So moving right <laughs> along. <laughs> Ubuntu 19.10 will offer an experimental ZFS file system option. The newly announced plan, which isn't set in stone, is to include a ZFS install option in Ubuntu 19.10, the next short-term release due this October. The downside is that using ZFS on Linux distributions is a little tricky. The format is tangled up with all sorts of licensing issues, but those issues haven't put Canonical off. Canonical states that they have quote, spent time looking at the licensing which applies to the Linux kernel and to ZFS and concluded that we are acting within the rights granted and in compliance with the terms on both licenses. End quote. Feeling it's well worth its rights to use the ZFS fully, the company plowed away on bringing up ZFS file system support for Ubuntu across the cloud server and containers for several years. Now it's coming to the desktop.
0: Okay. See, I can see it really working well on the server. Why such a need to bring it to the desktop? I guess we gotta be, you know, up and up. I guess. Doesn't doesn't ZFS require This is a question maybe for our community. Doesn't it require or doesn't it suggest the need for like higher end hardware um, like ECC RAM and that kind of stuff? Like, is that not an issue? And I ask that it's like, I don't really know the answer to that. So is it not a a little bit of a dangerous thing to be presenting it to the end users? And they'll call it uh, experimental. Right. So, you know, don't run this if, uh, if you don't know what it is. If you're running it on consumer hardware that you bought at Walmart, Mm -hmm. is that a good idea?
2: Why would somebody want to be using it?
0: Well, because it has certain advantages to the server. And that's where on the desktop, like we're talking like, like redundant file storage, the ability to go back on file versioning and things like that. Stuff that EXT3, EXT4 is not that good at because it's older. Right. Right. So this is a more streamlined, futuristic file system
1: right
2: but tricky for the common person to use like the
0: foo yeah well to to deploy but if they if they ease the deployment process make it a part of the installer well then it's not so much of a big deal the foo said zfs doesn't need uh anything extra unless you actually need that extra stuff so i think what they're saying is you don't have to add those features that are going to be problematic if you don't need them which means the average user is probably not going to add them
2: right so and it's if, not going to be a problem and if you were going to be adding them you would know what you were adding and then you would know yeah how precisely how to and yeah okay.
0: uh the foo goes on to say ZFS still validates that uh what was sent to the disk actually got there and that's important for sure how does yeah. it handle uh like power outages and things like that that's the you know the there, there are so many questions about file systems that i don't know the answers to because that's like hot like really low level stuff and uh yeah the foo says ECC is recommended but not necessary but that's where i maybe and users like if i don't know the answers and maybe the community doesn't know the answers maybe it's best to, to stick with like ext4 for the desktop mm. or maybe butterfs at least stuff that's like i don't know i put butter on my bread i love butter on my bread <laughs> and butter on my file system <laughs> i like it <laughs>
2: There is a new attack exploiting serious Bluetooth weakness that is capable of intercepting sensitive data. Researchers have demonstrated a serious weakness in the Bluetooth wireless standard that could allow hackers to intercept keystrokes, address books, and other sensitive data sent from billions of devices. Dubbed Key Negotiation of Bluetooth, or Knob for short, the attack forces two or more devices to choose an encryption key just a single byte in length before establishing a Bluetooth connection. Attackers within radio range can then use commodity hardware to quickly crack the key. From there, attackers can use the cracked key to decrypt data passing between the devices. The type of, types of data susceptible could include keystrokes passing between a wireless keyboard and a computer, address books uploaded from a phone to a card dashboard, or photographs exchanged between phones. NOB doesn't require an attacker to have any previously shared secret material or to observe the pairing process of the targeted devices. The ex- exploit is invisible to Bluetooth apps and the operating systems that they run on, making the attack almost impossible to detect without, being highly, without highly specialized equipment. NOB also exploits a weakness in the Bluetooth standard itself. That means, in all likelihood, that the vulnerability affects just about every device that's compliant with the specification. The researchers have simulated the attack on 14 different Bluetooth chips, including those from Broadcom, Apple, and Qualcomm, and found them all to be vulnerable. Okay. So, no longer trust your wireless devices?
0: I don't mind turning off my Bluetooth.
2: Right.
1: I was gonna say oh. I have my watch. I never turn my Bluetooth off. Yeah, ever.
0: So when I'm in a but at a public coffee house, right. how do I know I can trust the individuals that are nearby?
2: Right.
0: How do you know you can trust the coffee at that coffee house?
2: How can you afford coffee? Well,
0: because it's it's a good coffee house, Jeff.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm a part it. of the loyalty program. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Bluetooth they can just tap on into Bluetooth, but. They couldn't, like, tap into it and then go everywhere. They can just tap into the one thing.
0: Well, presumably it's the communication, yeah. the data. So what is being sent to your to phone? your watch?
2: My steps. Your steps, <laughs> your heart
1: rate,
0: chances are your location. My weight, yeah. actually. Yep, all also. that kind of stuff. A well, lot of your those things don't concern me, but what about, like, email or phone concerning. calls? or Sure, well, exactly. Okay, I have SMS. all that turned off. So Okay, well, that's wise. Yeah. Well done. But,
1: yeah. but, but, but... The, de- the software itself still, s- can still access that by turning it on. So it's, it's still possible if they can get to the phone. Oh,
0: to the software can enable it? And oh, it. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Um, and, and we live in a society where we are plagued with phishing scams right now. Right. So the moment that uh, a compromising party can gain access to your contact list, right, uh, or um, information about, your, your contacts or people that you interact with, then they can spoof that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They can
0: use specialized hardware, if they're good, to spoof an S- SMS sender and make it look like it's coming from a family member. Right. And, oh, d- click on this link. And it takes you to a thing that installs ransomware, which is a real thing on phones now, and certainly on computers. So get a hold of your email address list and things like that. People th- are way too trusting because it, oh, it, came from, it came from a family member. It came yeah. from a friend. I've wow. said, like, what if you got an email from me that said, open this attachment?
2: I would probably immediately <laughs> open, it. open
0: it. You might open it if th- you really firmly believed it was from me because the email right. address matched, the name matched. Even these days, the signature matches. Yeah. Everything is it's very, very clever.
1: I got an email a week ago from somebody that I trust dearly, mm. and the subject line was, check this out. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Mm. I open it up. It's just a link. Yeah. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I texted them the person. And I'm like, yeah, you've been hacked. Like, what are you talking about? Like, mm. I just got this email. So check that out. So like, no, I actually sent that. And I'm like, it's <laughs> the first time it looked like a
0: scam or wow. wasn't. Dude, you really need to improve your emails <laughs> exactly. because it totally looks like a scam. I
2: will, <laughs> I will sometimes text people links to things, yeah. but I always add a, like a description of what I'm
1: right, sending. Yeah. But, but they're still sophisticated. I got one the oh, other yeah. day. It's like... I don't know if you saw. This is happening. You don't want it to happen. I did some research Mm -hmm. on it. Here's what you need to know. This is where I found the research. Yeah, sure. And it was something related to what the 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 two of us are involved in. And I was like, I almost clicked, and I'm going, wait a minute. Yeah, this guy knows nothing about technology. Yeah, yeah. So there's no way you would talk about this.
0: Right. So they get a hold of your contact list through this bluetooth exploit as an yep. example. And now they find out that oh you interact with Robbie Ferguson. Ah, okay. Grab one of the emails from that Robbie Ferguson because of the bluetooth connection gives them access to that as well. And now they can spoof my signature so it looks exactly like it's coming from me. Spoof yep. my email address and send you a link that says click here. Uh, and signs it by Robbie to make it look completely legit, right?
2: So, what if it was flipped? What would you do Mm -hmm. if you got a message from me that said, like, oh my goodness, Robbie, I need your help. I don't know what I've done. Send money. No, (laughs) I don't know what I've done. And then there's a link. Yeah. That sounds like me. That actually sounds like something I would say. (laughs) Would you click it, or would you call me and see whether or not I sent it?
0: Uh, I would probably... uh, uh, because of my experience be able to determine from the URL that you've sent whether or not it's legit. Oh,
2: not oh, only okay. that,
0: you would send yeah. that through Discord. But that's me.
2: Well, I that's would, really like, yeah, ask man. the whole world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but there's not, that's not always the case. But. So what I do in those cases when I'm not entirely sure mm-hmm. uh, is I W get it. And I watch the headers, and I see if W get it. Yeah, so I don't open it in a browser. I open it in a Linux terminal that allows me to follow the header flow, so that I so that I can see was it actually giving me a file. Oh, this actually redirected and redirected and redirected until finally it gave me a JavaScript file. And then I open that JavaScript file in a text editor to see what it was actually doing. And I find- so
2: smart.
0: And I find eval codes. And so I decode the eval codes and see the actual JavaScript that is being run. So what would I do? It's not average.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is why I'm asking you what you yeah. would do. Because what Robby I would, would do... would go on a
0: detective mission. Yeah. <laughs>
2: what I would do is like 14 seconds after I've done whatever I'm not supposed to sure. do, feel like, oh, that was probably the wrong choice. Like so I should call, I should or, call yeah. Robbie and send him this link and be like, I clicked this link. Is it safe?
0: So I think rather than what, what would I do, let's, let's think about what we wouldn't do. Yes. So if you get an email, this is happening right now, this is a, uh, yeah. being distributed, uh, an email from a colleague or somebody that you know that looks like it's legit, it's got their signature, it's got their email address right. and everything else, but it's got a zip file attached to it. And the zip file is encrypted because presumably it's private, right? right? right. This is, oh, here's some private information. So I, z- I zipped it and I encrypted it. The password is blah, 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 blah one thing nobody who has any brains to encrypt something is going to send the password in the same email as the encrypted file okay so just think about that for a second hold on back up whether you think you know them or not that is a that nobody's going to do that if they have the mindset to know that they need to encrypt the file think about that for a second (sighs) right Um, if you uh, okay so why would a malicious party then Encrypt a file and create a zip file that is password protected and then give you the the password. Because an antivirus product, Mm -hmm. be it on a server or your own computer, cannot read encrypted data. Okay, so that zip file coming into your Didn't inbox, that. yeah, that zip file coming huh. into your inbox, it's password protected and encrypted. So huh. without the password, it can't be opened and right. therefore can't be scanned. It will scan the file, but it won't find anything wrong with it because it's just a bunch of ones and zeros. Right. It can't read the actual data, Didn't right? Know that. So then you open the huh. zip file especially on Microsoft Windows, open that zip file, enter the password that was in the email so cleverly, because your friend is so security-minded, and boom, it comes up and you're infected with ransomware and the whole network is gone. You've lost all the files for the company and you feel pretty bad about that, I'm pretty sure. So what do you do? Okay, so you get that email, it's got a password-protected zip file. Mm -hmm. Regardless of whether you think you trust it or not, you call that person. You say, Sasha, did you just send me a password protected zip file? What are you going to say? No. No? What are you talking about?
2: Yeah.
0: Delete. Okay.
2: There done. you go. Problem I,
0: solved. Done. It's just doing your due diligence.
1: I I wish there was a way for email service companies to come up with a hit them back button. So <laughs> that when you get those kind of emails, you go hit
0: them back. Oh, yeah. And there's, just there's, shoot something this <laughs> out This is spam, That's this right. is malware. Hack them back. Exactly. And shut them down. And it like, it like bombards them <laughs> with, like there are Russian servers that uh, it's all tapped in together. That's, that's, it's all that's ta- what we yeah, need. That absolutely that's, would that, be there we go. On yeah. the
2: next episode. There's my
1: billion dollar product idea.
0: <laughs> there you go. Oh, it's been shut down already, Jeff. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if this, then that warns against migrating Nest devices to Google accounts. Google says it's moving Nest devices over to a unified Google ecosystem for the sake of simplicity, but simple can be complicated, as is certainly the case here. In May, after users fought the decision, the company announced that it would maintain works with Nest connections for some third-party integration. If This Then That, or ift, applets for the company's camera, smoke detector, and thermostat are among those exceptions. That certainly bodes well for those users who took the time to ingrate ift functionality. However, users who opt to migrate a Nest account to a Google one will break their connections in the process. If said in a statement, quote, do not migrate your Nest account to a Google account. Migrating your Nest account will cause IFT and other works with Nest integrations to be disconnected. This process is not reversible. Further, they warn users do not disconnect Nest from IFT after August 31st, as you will not be able to reconnect it. This affects users that, that do not migrate their Nest accounts to a Google one. End quote. For its part, Google says that it's looking to bring similar automation functionality to Nest that presently requires third-party integration from services like ift
0: mm-hmm. A couple of sides of this. I mean, you, you want to jump on them and say, Google's trying to cut out the little guy. Mm. That was my first reaction. Then I realized, okay, well, there, there have been exploits on Nest. Yeah. There have right. been hacks on Nest. Yeah. And so what's the best way to protect Nest users is to control the ecosystem right. to, to stop the api that allows third-party integrations that's a tough situation when you've created something that that supports that from the get-go
1: see and my thought was by you know removing that and kind of bringing it back into the centralized process what happens
0: if there's a data breach well presumably google knows about encryption by now
1: Right. You would right. think, but how many times have we seen big name pumpkin pump pumpkins, <laughs> giant pumpkins, <laughs> the giant pumpkins, folks? October is coming. <laughs> That's right. But how many times have we seen big name companies go? Oops.
2: Right.
0: Like. Uh, yeah.
2: Right. Because, because oh I mean, in this I case, could also, never, I
0: would... I could never think that Mike uh, that uh, that Google has that.
2: Okay, but, so but it's possible. possible. Yeah, anything but anything is possible. now
1: if one thing goes wrong and it's linked back to Google centralizing it and take, taking the third party out and the middleman yeah. out, mm-hmm. then people are going to go your problem, not ours. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: we'll have to. see. I don't know.
1: Maybe that's not a big deal to them, but that's
0: <laughs> so what I, thought was. I guess what it boils down to is the user. Like, are you using eft? And if you are for your Nest devices. So that is your Nest thermostat. Your do you Nest, have a Nest, Nest, Nest thermostat? I have a Nest thermostat.
2: Do you use the if this then that?
0: I don't use if this then that with Nest. However, I do use uh, my Amazon Echo. See how I stopped myself?
2: And you use that? Is that an if this then that situation? Or no. no?
0: Um, the Echo is a third party integration, however. Oh, okay. I would imagine. Unless it's like a Google official skill.
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: I guess that's something that I'll discover. Um, right. But I can understand why they'd want to lock down their ecosystem in such a way that they are in control. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, it really hurts someone like Ift. Sure. But, and and what, we, what we learned there in your story is that now Google is saying they're going to create their own Ift.
2: Right. Uh, well,
0: I hmm.
2: That they buy out the real Ift and give them a whole whack of money for oh, the what they've yeah. done.
0: That, that won't be, happen. That, that nice, won't though. happen. No. But it would be. No, nice. Just free give money. them give them a bunch of free money just to say thank you for supporting the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Maybe do that. Yeah. Because people don't want happen. people don't want if to switch to Google. Shareholders don't want that though. No, but come on, play nice in this World Wide web.
2: Exactly. Right? If you're
0: going to be the big dog, play nice with the little guys. Oh, that was kind of naive. Right. <laughs> sure. I'm just saying. I mean,
2: it would be nice.
0: What do you think? Please comment below. Uh, oh, and this is me. I wanted to, you to take over, but no, this is actually my turn to talk about the uh, CoinGecko crypto report as of August 21st, 2019. Now, Bitcoin has dropped a little bit, but it's still doing quite well at $10,081.90 uh, fiat USD. Uh, Facebook Libra is still not trading. Yes. Litecoin is uh, now. Litecoin is an interesting case this week. Oh, last week it skyrocketed, mm-hmm. like almost doubled in its value in U.S. dollars uh, value. Has
1: anybody and then figured what out happened? why?
0: I don't. I don't know why. The news? Did I something come I up? I followed in the, the news? trends, but <laughs> it's because we covered it in the news. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so it it went up. So if you bought like four four weeks ago, you did really really well last week. And I hope you sold oh. because then it cut down again. So it actually, uh, wow.
2: So is it lower than it was two weeks ago? Last
0: week or? it was at one eighty-eight thirty-seven, doing yeah. quite well. And this week it lost $115.13. Oh, nice. That's like 65% so of its value. It's now down at $73.24. So I hope you bought after last week. Week's show, Monero is staying pretty static at eighty dollars and twenty-three cents. Fiat uh, up one thirty-four from last week. Torque, or uh, previously known as Stellite, it's been it's been doing well. For a small coin, um, sitting now uh, at uh, 1.01 ten thousandths of a cent, whereas TurtleCoin is about half that at 0.53. Remember, the uh, cryptocurrency uh, market never closes. It's always volatile. It's always changing. And because it's 24-7, you never know. Like Jeff says, well, what caused it to go up and what caused it to come down? You don't know. You can take a guess, but it's not, like, uh, it's not like oil. Like You can't point it at one particular thing and say that's what caused it. No, it doesn't work that way. It's cryptocurrency. It's madness. <laughs> so anything you invest, make sure you're ready to lose it.
2: Lose it. Yeah. Exactly. Please. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV Newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV Newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman.
0: And I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Jeff Weston. Stick around, folks. We've got more show for you. Segment C, coming right up.
1: Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. We are sweating it. It's good times here in Studio (laughs) D.
0: If you're just tuning in, he means the air conditioner is broken. That's right. It's a hot show! (laughs) Yeah. But it's been good. Oh boy. It's been a good um, show. Speaking of hot shows, we went to, uh, we bumped into each other at a concert. It was a very special concert because we were celebrating the 20th anniversary of our previous employee, actually, yeah. how you and I met. That's right. And you know who else I ran into there was uh, Christy Burton. Yes, we'll call her. Yeah, it's Christy Van Noort now because yeah. she married our camera guy John. Uh, so both. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so John oh, okay. and Christy were there, and you were there with your wife. Uh, yeah, and uh, we had a great time. But it was to celebrate like 20 years of the radio this, station yeah. where we met.
1: But it was totally by, by fluke. Like we walked in, and we're like, oh, the reserve section for the former staff is over here. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I go set down.
0: Yeah. and I'm. You're behind us. Uh, well, yeah, we're behind and I'm You're like, taking pictures of the back of my bald head.
1: I'm sitting there, and I'm like. That looks like the back of Robbie's head. That looks like <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, wait, that's.
0: <laughs> what his is family. that solid white orb? That's
1: right. So, but it was, it was a good show. It was nice to reminisce and see yeah. people that I haven't not seen in 15 years. Oh,
0: easy, yeah. yeah um, and they had a. Um, so up at the front foyer, they had uh, like a museum set up. I guess it was like a historical museum. Did you see that? No. Oh, really? Oh, totally you missed it. Oh, that's a shame, Jeff. Um, so they had a museum set up, and they actually... So they had pictures from throughout the years. So okay. I, I worked there 20 years ago and yeah. worked there for several years. Um, so some of the photos went back to when I was just oh a goodness, wee yeah, lad. I started there right? 20 years ago. Easy. Yeah. So um, So it was pretty neat to see these photos. And, and there was a newspaper clipping. You've mentioned on the show uh, the time that you were working... Uh, uh, you spent the night in the mall. Oh
1: yeah, I was living in the mall for a week.
0: It was in support of uh,
1: for the food bank. Yeah, we oh, were yes. trying to get. I think it was ten thousand pounds of food. Yeah, there and you I go. and I wasn't leaving the mall till we got the the really? food. Yeah. And I think it was Thursday mid afternoon we got it. And I'm like, I'm here till Friday, so really? let's get more. So it, <laughs> it was like that was an amazing, £12, amazing ourselves. event. Yeah. And you
2: slept at the mall. Sorry, I'm.
1: That's the way the promo went. <laughs> <laughs> he got to go home at th-
0: right. after close
1: I, I left the mall after midnight and i had to be back before the seniors walk at six o'clock
0: there you go yeah oh. so he got, he got four hours of oh. sleep and it was interesting because was so i i snapped a picture of that article because that was like a real great memory um my involvement with that because that was after i left the radio station as a as an on-air dj um, oh, that's right but my yeah. involvement was they needed an it guy yeah because there was no internet at the mall and jeff had to be able to like broadcast from the mall which is all done through internet connectivity and he had to be able to look up his research and all the information and email and everything else so i was hired to come in and run all the cables through the roof and install the routers and everything else so that was me and my wife i was doing that for you yeah that was a lot
1: of fun i i really did enjoy that the that event back that, then fifteen that, years well, I ago. I mean that, that event, but just radio yeah. in general. I mean like oh yeah, it was just it was a blast, and that's the one thing I loved about the concerts. I'm sitting there going, yeah, this was a really fun
0: job. Like it yeah, really, oh, yeah. really was a fun job. And it did not pay. <laughs> No. But it right. was a fun job. That's why we all left. Well, but yeah. we but we made friends along the way. Right. Yeah. Right? I mean, and here we are doing TV exactly. and making just as much money. And right, but, much. but we've got our full-time work on the side keeping us going, but this is now something, you know, it's something yeah. that we're passionate about. Yeah. And uh, it was really neat to see people that we haven't seen in so many years and as I say, uh, Christy Burton and John Van Noert, uh, you remember them from the show. Yeah. Christy was our news anchor uh, for several oh. years and then John and John at that time uh, became our camera guy, mm-hmm. then they hooked up, got married, and moved away and so yeah, i 'm not bitter, no, but it was really, really nice to see them
1: Well, yeah. that's good mm-hmm. you, know, you know what I particularly enjoyed what 's that uh, that I could recognize everybody from years gone by, yeah, mm-hmm. but very few recognized me oh yeah, because of the beard oh, it changed wow. everything and yeah. there was a, there were a bunch of like when the, when they announced you know the former staff and I yeah. stood up. One of the guys is like, I was looking around going, nope, that's not him. (laughs) Oh, that's him. I was like... (laughs) Beard for the win.
0: Yes. I had people recognize me. I don't know if people didn't recognize me because they wouldn't have told me that. Yeah. Hey, I don't know you. But I did have people come up and say they knew me. Yeah. They recognized my wife and I because we, did, we had a band. They actually recognized her. Now, I'm, oh, I'm bald Soul now from SoulCleanse. Yeah. Um, com. if you want to see Robbie back when he was 18 years old doing rap. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Classic stuff. <laughs> with, like, three number one hits on the radio. Like, it was the real deal. Yeah, it was. I That's because you the, worked
2: at the radio.
0: No, <laughs> no. Um it no, was you guys also entirely played, separate. I played was it the, not
1: Covenant Awards TV. as well. I did, yeah. yeah we played awards.
0: We were you we not did, a nominee or did you win? Uh they didn't have a rap category those back then. That's right. Yeah. yeah but yeah, yeah, we yeah. performed at uh, the Covenant Awards in, in Ottawa. Yeah. Uh really? we traveled to London and did shows. It was a big and, yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty neat. So that people recognized cool. me from that, which was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, didn't recognize me at first, recognized Becca, because she hasn't changed a bit, right? Yeah. And me like she still looks exactly the same. Yeah. So, um, but that was neat, and it was neat to see everybody for sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was a lot. I think I was on one of those songs, was I not? You were. Uh, We Break His Heart Again. That's right. From the album Keeping It Was It Keeping It Real? uh, I think it was from Keeping It Real. I remember
1: recording that in your spare bedroom.
0: Yeah, back at the old house we had. We didn't have kids back then. That was fun. So, the spare bedroom was actually set up as a recording studio. That was fun. I,
1: I do miss those days. Not that I want to repeat them, but I do miss them. Yeah, oh yeah. Sasha's <laughs> so is like I'm learning all this weird new stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway,
1: reminiscing. <laughs> yeah,
0: reminiscing with thanks. people you don't know. And that's that's it. That's what we've been up to.
1: The best part of that concert though was the fire alarm.
0: It constantly went off, and it reminded me of the Soul Cleanse days because we were always <laughs> yes. we were always setting off the fire alarms every venue.
1: It was like you were at a rave or something because they're in the like the band's playing. They're in the middle of this rocking song. The guys rapping away, and all of a sudden,
0: it's the smoke machines.
1: That's right, and yeah. then like suddenly, there's lights flashing everywhere, yeah, and you get and the, the the
0: alarm going off. Totally offbeat.
1: Yeah, it was it was <laughs> wild.
0: Yeah, it was so much fun. The band was so pro, though. Like this is a like a uh, what do you call it? Vivo band. Like, I don't even are, know. like a big name band, anyways. Yeah. So, um, like yeah, uh, they brought them up from They the were States, pro. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Kentucky. So if you're from Kentucky. That's where the band was from. Yeah. So.
1: I, I loved how the one guy had black overalls and camel crocs. And yeah. It was like, that's... Player.
0: Yeah. That's good. So be awesome. soul,
2: soulcleanse.com? Just for what Yeah, I that's mean. right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just, just like it sounds. Yeah. 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 yeah I'll be able to yeah, watch, good, look yeah. that. Yeah. It's good times. <laughs> All right. S- Fun we had in radio. So... Okay. Um, If you enjoy our show, please stand with us and pitch in as little or as much as you can through Patreon. Every person who becomes a patron helps us grow and gets access to some pretty neat perks. Sign up today at patreon.com slash category5.
0: Don't forget, too, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. We are category 5 Technology TV, but also linuxtechshow.com will take you to our secondary channel, which is edited down little snippets, and uh, that is a great way to watch the show as well. Make sure you subscribe and click the bell on both of those YouTube channels so that you get not only the snippets but also the live broadcast and everything else that we post uh, we're also on Roku and Cody um, you can find out more through our website category5.tv hey a real quick way is to scroll right to the bottom and click on subscribe there's RSS feeds there's uh, like Google podcasts everything else you'll find that at category5.tv that's all the time that we have everybody have a great week we'll see you next time
1: bye, bye.